0: Welcome to the podcast where together every Monday we explore hospitality in its very broader sense, from culture and cooking, cocktails and coffee, nutrition and farming politics and animal welfare, organic and sustainability, family and business, entrepreneurship and much, much more. Come and learn with me, Mark Cribb, about where our food and our drink comes from and the businesses and more importantly, the human beings that thrive on where we decide to spend our time and our money. Sign up to our weekly newsletter at humansofhospitality.co.uk and hit subscribe on your podcast player of choice. This week's episode I am chatting to Jennifer Wood from Canton Tea who is also the founder of the UK Tea Academy. Now thank goodness in the last 15 years the way we drink coffee has gone through a revolution from an instant brew in polystyrene cups to beans with known provenance carefully selected and lovingly roasted. Could tea soon follow in coffee's footsteps? Yes, if this week's guest Jennifer Wood founder of Canton Tea, has anything to do with it. To build her business, Jennifer has travelled to remote mountainous regions like the wild-wide Yunnan, where tea bushes live to a thousand years and grow 40 feet high. The tea producers and masters she works with take the ritual of growing, harvesting and ageing the tea as seriously as leading vineyard owners do their prized wines. When you hear how much hard work and knowledge goes into each cup of Canton's artisanal tea, whether it's black, green, oolong, or the mind-blowing pu'er, you'll understand why Jennifer thinks that even the most basic cuppa is worth much, much more than two pence a bag. Her enthusiasm is so infectious, you'll also want a Cantonista, championing quality loose-leaf tea in your neck of the woods. Bring on the tea revolution, and enjoy this week's conversation. Jennifer Wood from Canton Tea, thank you so much for sparing the time to be on the podcast. Can you just explain where on planet Earth are we, please?
1: Yes, well, we're tucked up in the the bowels of a London building, not far from... Tate Modern but it's the headquarters of the UK Tea Academy.
0: Yeah and I feel like I've been transferred to the Orient because we've just spent the last 20 minutes tasting a huge variety of tea so even though I'd forgotten that I was fundamentally buried in a basement in the centre of London um, but thank you we are going to go on a pretty uh, yeah wild ride of tea I think. Good I hope so. Looking forward to it. So um, your original you're going to Go all over the place in this conversation. But your original exposure to good tea, I think, was back when you were working at the the body shop and there was a little trigger for this. Can you just explain the story behind how you ended up drinking some incredible tea almost without even knowing?
1: Yes, yes. I mean I did it wasn't actually anything connected with the body shop. I happened to be working for Anita Roddick as a writer at the body shop. But my husband was involved in publishing, still is, and his great friend and mentor used to send over Some, well, half a kilo, about 500 grams of this this unusual looking leaf that was tea and came from the mountains of Taiwan and it came from his family farm. And every season he would send it over to us and we would just enjoy it. We'd chuck it in a pot and we'd pour on water and we didn't think much about it. All we knew was that it was delicious and it was unlike any other tea, any conventional tea. Do we'd ever really tasted before. So when um, I went freelance with my writing and it was a couple of years of working with fairly dull um, building societies and uh, various things, I really wanted to do something a little bit more and just thought, hmm, that tea we've been drinking for about 10 years, wouldn't it be great if we could just get that out there and expose the British public to this amazing tea. And so we started doing some research, spent time in China, um, found a a buying partner. But before we did that, we actually just phoned up Professor Lim, the the fellow I was talking about, and said, we've had this great idea. We're going to start a little, um, you know, a little website, little company. We're going to import your tea straight over and Get it out there. How about it? You know, is, is that yeah, possible? Yeah,
0: send us more quickly. Yes, yeah.
1: yes, exactly. And, um, you know, first question, you know, how much do you reckon? What's, you know, the tea we've been drinking, how much is it? And, you know, a slight pause. And he said, wow, you know, the tea that you have been drinking, that I have been sending you would cost approximately $3,000 a kilo from the garden because it's a, um, you know, it's a very special tea reserved. It's made in very small amounts, made special bushes from a special area, made by a very famous tea master. And we only give it to our very close friends and family and government ministers. So when we we thought, oh well, okay. He'd been thousand. waiting
0: ten years for you to ask that question. He just—he's going. At some point, they're going to ask me how good this tea is. He just been sending it. <laughs> he must have been. Well, at he last, assumed exactly. You he know, you assumed you we had
1: a better appreciation of such a thing. Um, but obviously, we did some quick sums and worked out, you know, how much that would translate into once you had shipped it across, packed it down into your own packaging, t- got it out to a customer, assuming there was a customer out there who was going to prepare to buy it. And then they put on their margins in a London hotel. You would be looking at a pot of tea that we're, you know, drinking from now it would be several hundred of pounds, several hundred pounds a pot. Wow. Um, so that was our first exposure to how, just how good and how valued and how expensive tea can be. And, you know, of course, London, the world was not ready. Well, London was not ready for that kind of level of,
0: no. of uh, well, tea I, I, then, and I, I don't yeah. think it
1: is now. Quite. I read it in
0: shock last night and realised my tea naivety to, uh, yeah, to not have any comprehension that you could spend that much money on Yeah, well, on that, tea. And that
1: wasn't the most yes. expensive by really? any means. Oh, wow. God, no, we didn't even have the the.
0: Amazing. Top level. friend.
1: we weren't a government no, minister. Only five hundred
0: dollars um, a pot. That's exactly. Yeah. So
1: okay. that. Um, so that was our best But of course, we can go down the list of his from his garden. The same, the same tea, the Pao Chong, but it's a different grade, and that's what we're drinking today. And it is still absolutely superb. Um, and then we went and explored in in China, and we found a buying partner out there who we still work with today and she buys direct from you know multi-generation she's been her family in the business yeah
0: so you had that conversation you found out that there was a whole world of tea out there that you didn't know was the Mm -hmm. next stage going off and doing some research did you hop on a plane and go out there yes yeah
1: and how long Absolutely. did it take then
0: between having that conversation and setting up the business?
1: Well, because I'm not very patient right. and I tend to jump in yeah. um, rather than doing a sort of forensic analysis of, of yeah, margins and yeah, price points. And, and, yeah. Exactly. I just thought, oh, God, let's just that's get on not, with it.
0: That's not entrepreneurial. Why
1: wouldn't it work? Exactly. You know, who, who wouldn't buy this stuff? Yeah. Um, you know, it's so beautiful. It was we were so excited by the whole thing, and I think also, um, you know, I had spent ten years working for this this woman Anita Roddick, who was an astonishing entrepreneur, and she would never, ever. Everything was very black and white with her, and she would never say, "Oh, well, maybe." It was always, you know, if it's a good idea, do it, mm-hmm. and you know, you can spend. Years or certainly many, many more months than we did, thinking about it. So, of course, we made tons of mistakes, but we just simply bought the tea as in the most direct possible route. I mean, the values we had then were getting the tea from the farms, understanding everything about the provenance of the leaf, bringing it across, and then just telling people about it and packing it down in my then kitchen and trying to... And, and is that easy? So you have there. this idea,
0: you have a conversation, you, you rock up in China, presumably, and then what, you've got to find the farmers direct? You go straight no, to a little well, man? No, well, it how would be you...
1: ludicrous to for a European woman just to go out there and without the language <laughs> and just try and buy tea. Yeah. I mean, if you went to the, the amazing market in Guangzhou, I mean, it's, I can't remember how many square miles of tea stalls there are, all small farmers, Wow. bringing the tea in from their farms. But it's a it's an absolute blizzard. Yeah. And unless you have in, insider knowledge, you are.
0: Yeah. Well, it's just, I think I've been to the, um, to the sort thing. of the – it reminds me of in Marrakesh when you go to the spice markets and stuff like that, and there's just hundreds of these stalls and you, they see a westerner and their eyes light up and you, you, you don't know what you're buying. Fundamentally, you don't. You've got and no idea. And what you're tasting at the front. And you end up front, with some real nonsense yeah, um, and stuff
1: Exactly. So you have okay. to be – So you found a, a good native, partner quite We quickly, really did. We found a brilliant partner – Um, Well, two, actually, and um, both with a long, long history in the family of tea buying. Right. And so that's how, and they had long-term relationships already with some farmers, good farmers, and they really, really understood their tea. And then, of course, we traveled to the farms. Right. So quite early on,
0: your objectives was to understand the uh, the history of the tea and the region and the ethos behind the tea and all that kind yeah. of stuff. So you went you went deep quite quickly. You didn't just go out there and go, hey, you know, Absolutely. looking for some nice tea to send Absolutely to England. What, what was the motivation? To I to think go the that motivation
1: far? was to, as you say, do a sort of deep dive into it. We didn't want you know a hundred teas to sell um, at any cost. We wanted to just do a few. So we started with half half a dozen teas, and. We just want to know all about them, where they came from, you know, how they were made, how to get the best out of the leaf and um, how to really people move people away from, uh, you know, what is essentially a sort of crappy Tea bag,
0: dusty bag, yeah. dusty bag of leaves. Yeah. we'll definitely come back to that. So, <laughs> just to bring to bring to life this kind of, I don't know. Let's just take one tea. So, for example, the the pu'er tea. You've got some stories around that, around kind of eight, eighth generation farmers. And can you just tell me a little bit as as that as an example of one tea and the history and where it has to come from and some of the some of the sort of uh, the nuances, I suppose, of what makes a pu'er tea.
1: Yes. Yeah. Well, a, a pu'er tea is one that many people never even. Even heard of. You have your categories of tea white, green, yellow, which is pretty unusual as well, um, oolong, black, and puer. And the category depends mostly on the level of oxidation, the processing. Um, the puer tea is very different because they call it sort of post fermented tea. It's a compressed tea. It gets better and better as it ages, generally, as long as it's been made well. And it's been stored correctly. A Puerh tea has to come from Yunnan, Southwest China. It has to come from the broadleaf varietal of tea plant, the Camellia sinensis samica, and it has to be sun-dried. And that is an authentic Puerh tea. Um, the way that it's 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 made, it's similar to a, a green tea. Um, but all the enzymes are not killed in the leaf with heat. So it carries on developing this sort of microbial action goes on within after it's been compressed between sort of granite blocks into different shapes. So you can have a cake shape um, or a brick or even a mushroom or all sorts of different shapes, but then it's wrapped in paper and it must be paper Um, so that it can still be exposed, it can still breathe, it can still develop. Plastic will absolutely kill it and make it mouldy. It'll just be a disaster. So it has to be stored ideally in the paper made from the vegetation around where the tea is produced, the little factory where it's produced. Um, And then, so a a bean cha, which is a cake of puerh, is... um, packed together seven of them into a tong and then wrapped in bamboo and tied and can be stored very carefully for decades really and yeah i mean it goes for a phenomenal amount of money if it's if it's made from a reputable factory and it's been stored by someone who knows what they're doing who knows how to store it so obviously away from any sort of Particular humidity
0: or okay. Anything. So, so, so you went here and saw this process. Oh yeah. The What's Yunnan like? Is it is this a particularly hot place? Is it uh, Yunnan
1: no- is um, it's a wild, wild place. I mean, you really you flew to Kunming, which is a sort of big area, and then another small flight to Shishambana, and then you're on a truck, and then you're going through um, small villages, and then you end up on a smaller sort of Land Rover going up into the mountains and then actually have to walk eventually some of the places we went to where the wild tea is picked. Wild tea bushes, you know, they trees, they grow, you know, 40-odd feet high. They can be 800 to 1,000 years old. They um, are allowed to be, the government allows the native people there In this case, it was the Dai people. They're allowed to, it's not so much that they own the land, but they own the right to pick, look after the trees and and pick the leaves. So
0: in my head, I'm imagining not so much as a farm, but just a a natural kind of area where these trees grow, basically.
1: Absolutely. It's the wild. It's the the mountains. And these trees are growing wild in amongst the other, you know, well, some bamboo and obviously a, a ton of native flora. And right. This nine. is
0: very different to where our little bag of tea in the cupboard that costs a penny comes from. I'm presuming it couldn't
1: couldn't be further couldn't be further I'm, away. I'm guessing
0: that doesn't and all these, come from on
1: foot. This no very very little comes from. And these these guys they use ladders. They're dressed in their most you know their their regular costume, which is still incredible, embroidered paste, um, waistcoats, really beautiful, brightly coloured. And very little of this is um, produced. And we were traveling with our buyer and a tea maker who's a sort of traveling tea maker, tea master. He goes around and he buys the leaf and he takes it back to his place and produces the puerh himself from these amazing leaves. So you know they're they're pretty and special. That's, that's impressive.
0: So who and who are they making that for? This is for the the domestic local yeah. market. Yeah, not so well it,
1: the domestic market. Yes, right. and he's got an amazing mm-hmm. reputation now. So he. Sells his poor for a lot of money,
0: and and some of these guys are presumably just drinking it in the, in the village where it's picked. But is it is it predominantly for the wealthier part of society? Is this is this this has got a value? Even it is. You, I suppose you mentioned about it, the fact that it ends up in government or whatever. But there's, yes. a, there's a multi-tiered level, I guess, of where tea so. goes. Very much so.
1: I mean, what's fascinating about tea is if it isn't given, you know, if it isn't made well, then it has very little value. If it's not, for instance, um, in Myanmar. Recently, there's a project going on through a friend of mine, and um, she's been out there. And the tea was growing all around the village. Um, they were also mining, open mining um, gems. Um, there were women and children up to their necks in sort of filthy water, just sort of you know trying to find the odd nugget. And it was all you know, it's completely. And the tea, they'd just pick, you know, leave it around for a bit. Chuck some water on it and drink it. Had no value whatsoever. What they're doing now, this is a really lovely project. They're now actually gone out making, picking the tea the right time of year, making it really beautifully and producing some fantastic black tea, which we're shortly... Going to be buying. Oh, that's good.
0: And you were telling me earlier that, that to know when Same. the leaves are ready to pick, there's a, there's a little what was it a um, bug? What was it? What was oh, yeah. that? A tea acid. Oh, that's from a tea.
1: Yeah, this is one we've got in front of us now. It's Oriental Beauty, and that again is from Taiwan, and it's an oolong tea.
0: Okay, so remind me what's an oolong tea? A
1: oolong tea is in between a black tea and a green tea, so it's semi-oxidized. A green tea is not oxidized at all. The leaf is picked and heated quickly after picking, either in China, generally in a hot, dry wok, to kill, they call it kill green, green, which is to kill the enzymes in the leaf to prevent any further oxidation. And a black tea is fully oxidized. So it's rolled and tumbled and the cells are broken down to release the enzymes to begin the oxidation process until it's all very sort of dark malty and it's, it's withered and rested and dried and rolled and rested again and finally um, heated to make it stable. So an oolong is between a black and a green. Okay. You can have a heavily oxidized oolong, so it's close to a black tea, or a lightly oxidized oolong, much, much closer to a green tea.
0: Right, which is what we're drinking at the moment, and there are this, uh, half a dozen very different colours, from extremely pale to extreme to dark. Which, which is is that related to the oxidisation? Absolutely, the, the it more oxidised, the darker the tea. Exactly.
1: Basically? Yes. Okay. Generally, that's the case. And the Oriental Beauty is the one. It's from from Taiwan in the mountains of Wenshan. And this leaf is um, the 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 tea bushes when they are ready to be harvested, the farmer knows because a little tea jacket comes out and nibbles the edges of the leaf. So that's the time the tea bush knows it's under attack, that so releases some kind of enzyme which lends a different characteristic to the eventual liquor. Um, and also where the tea jacket has nibbled the edges of the leaf, that begins the oxidation process as well because of course it's damaged the cells. and. Right.
0: And, and is that knowledge? Is that thousands of years, hundreds of years old? How long has that process been going? Well,
1: on? the Taiwanese obviously came over from China, the, so less um, less than some of the more ancient right. teas that we have. So okay. amazing what nature does. It's
0: similar to the frost in the UK. I think I didn't really realise until I started learning about farming and growing veggies. But certain things happen. You know, post the, the last frost, I think maybe it's Jerusalem artichokes, and it's kind of six weeks I'm going to be bombarded by feedback going no that's nonsense but the concept that something happens in the soil after the first frost and it changes the uh, the reaction of the vegetables they obviously put up some sort of defence mechanism and it's six weeks after that then they're ready to pick basically and I just love that nature gives us those little gifts basically yes. and changes stuff it's yeah. uh, it's amazing so it sounds like it, it's much more along the lines of uh, of the nuances of wine and the, than the, where it's grown and the specialist kind of knowledge and absolutely. how it's treated absolutely
1: there's no question that I well, you know obviously I'm completely biased but tea I think has far more complexity and um, real sort of interest for me, anyway, than and more aligned to the wine world than it is to coffee yep. in many ways, because it's all about um, there are so many varietals of tea now. You know, you have originally, of course, in a, the broader sense, you have Camellia Sinensis, Sinensis, is a native Chinese tea bush. And the Camellia sinensis sanica, native Indian tea bush. And from there, there are thousands and thousands of different varietals now. And it's the, the they've adapted to obviously the terroir, uh, the, the the area that is best. And they've also been crossbred to make them more bug resistant or to make them more, you know, grow better at higher altitude or um, whatever the reason, or the silver needle that we're also drinking. I mean, that's a that's got a particularly long silvery bud leaf bud and that's perfect because it's able to be picked when it's still absolutely you know soft and fuzzy before it's opened out into the leaf um but uh it is it's all about the terroir so you know everything that nature throws at that bush is going to influence the the character of the Liquor,
0: okay, and and a little bit like uh, you know, farming in the UK, I suppose, and that industrialised approach. I'm presuming that when you get to the level of of the huge multinational big produced teas, these are intensively farmed with with pesticides and all sorts of different approaches, I suppose. And then the ultimate level is get up into the mountains where they're using the natural sort t- of tea and the leaves in the hills. Is that pretty much the same?
1: It is as, I'm as afraid. global and, farming, and still there is, you know, the tea industry is, you know, really struggling with a, a reputation from from the, the big boys. You know, they are, it is still a massive. Um, teas are produced on an industrial scale and they are shockingly cheap. Yeah. So these teas are not expensive. I think these teas still represent value. Mm. You know, of course, we talk about, you know, some of these that are phenomenally, you know, hundreds of pounds pop, but mostly they are you know, it's still extremely accessible when you consider the price of a bottle of wine. You know, I mean, you for a, a single serve of a really decent green, black or oolong tea, you know, it could be anything from 20, 25 pence to 60 pence, which...
0: Yeah. It's a phenomenal value, isn't it? Considering and the journey it's been on.
1: Absolutely. And yeah. you can reinfuse those leaves repeatedly. Right. So you get, you know, lots and lots out of it. And that's con- compared to a, a tea bag of about, you know, a couple of pence. Mm. And if you think think of a value chain, um, you know, what are those primary pickers or yeah. people working in that it feels That's like we should getting. be on
0: the cusp of a change then. Hopefully this this uh, informative chat will help that because we've seen it in coffee. We were all drinking instant coffee out of polystyrene cups for donkey's years, weren't we? And then 10, 15 years ago, all of a sudden we started to learn right. that there was decent coffee available in the world. And, and then we went through a period of maybe you know, mass-produced, albeit slightly better coffee, and then we got to fair trade. And certainly now in the specialist coffee market, it's much more about, um, you know, better than fair trade. It's about knowing the farms that it's come from. It's about organic um, coffee being grown without using too much water. It's about the living standards of the people that are kind of growing that. So mm-hmm. uh, do, do you feel like we're on the cusp of a similar journey in tea?
1: Oh, absolutely. I really do. I mean, we, you know, I think compared to where we were 11 years ago, you know, we were still in the wilderness Absolutely. I mean, the struggle it was to get people to take any of this yeah. in in the F and B world, and now the landscape is completely different. And it's driven by consumers. You know, they are demanding more. They're going into, you know, even the cafes are getting a decent coffee, a really beautiful coffee. Understand the provenance. Understand, you know, the fanaticism mm-hmm. that has gone into getting those those beans and creating a good coffee at the end of it and there are an awful lot of tea drinkers out yeah, there who are there still is. demanding
0: we are we are the still same. renowned and and the irony that we're renowned as a nation obsessed by tea and the cuppa and uh, yet we've been drinking yeah you know comparative garbage for all of these years how have, how have we ended up being known as the greatest tea drinkers in the world apart well, from the Chinese but drinking
1: well drinking i mean the really think, consider stuff. that the the Chinese have been actually Cultivating tea for four thousand years, over four thousand years, you know, not just drinking it, but really cultivating it, um, and then, of course, historically, the, you know, the, the the British Empire owning or or controlling tracts of India um, started the tea industry, the tea estates there, because you know they were fed up with, um, or Victoria fed up with um, all the coffers of England, the silver, going out to buy tea and silk and spices and porcelain and all the ships were being you know, pirated or wrecked and um, so the silver was going out there to buy this stuff and there was a massive trade deficit, you know, the Chinese wanted nothing in return except the silver. So that's when the shift changed, changed and uh, that's when they bought the tea seeds from China, and started actually growing them up in Darjeeling. That's where they really took off. Um, So that's why Darjeeling is a very different tea in India. Down in the Assam, around the Brahmaputra River, they're growing the native Indian tea bush, the Camellia Sinensis Assamica, which is flushing all year round. It's growing all year round, and it's producing these strong, dark-flavoured teas. And up in Darjeeling, it's much lighter, brighter. It's a high-grown tea from the Chinese cha- the Chinese tea bushes, right. which were still there, 200 years on, brought from those tea seeds. Wow! And yeah, I not really, really made the Darjeeling. link between
0: the sort of uh, the colony. I suppose it makes sense. Yeah, bring it out of out of China and into a colonised country, and then you've got direct access to it.
1: Absolutely, and then of course they could grow they could grow their own tea, send it back, and they could also. Um, grow opium, and uh, East India Company, um, it was evil empire in those days, um, and they were growing opium and dumping that on the uh, coastal region of China. You know, right. trading that, even though it was completely So we took their tea and, and sent them opium. Exactly right. Hence the Opium Wars. And
0: right. Hey, it's mean, a history. It's a history lesson as well. There,
1: oh my God. There is. I mean, there is so much influence of tea on almost every aspect of Mm -hmm. life, actually on history, on, um, you know, the sort of ship design, you know, trying to get the ships faster to bring the teas back, the the tea clippers making them much heavier on the sail because they would race back on the same, they would leave China on the same tide and they would arrive in London about an hour apart Incredibly, after sort of ninety wow. days sailing, but the first one back would get the prize and the better money. Wow, amazing! That's yeah, great, isn't it?
0: Okay, so in um, thank you for now at least understand that that, that tea is uh, is awesome. Um, you've got another range, I think, in in your tea where you say it's it's Canton limited edition, and you say this is where you give way to whimsy and extreme desire. Can you just give an example of what's what's the? I think that's a quote from your website. Yes, what's it the is. difference? What's the difference between those <laughs> It is those two?
1: because. Um, you know, as we all know, in this sector, we have to, at some point, hit a certain price point. Right. You know, there's there is a limit to what people will pay generally for. Um, you know, a core range of black, green, oolong, um, and yeah. white tea. So we make sure that we get the very best that we can at that level, but we also. There are so many beautiful teas that we taste, are exposed to, we know about, we've visited and we just have to bring them in. We have to, we have to have them. And it also, you know, you don't have to have your whole menu with extraordinary, um, you know, astonishing and quite expensive teas. You can just have one or two, which will completely lift your menu, give your Team, something really exciting to talk about to your customers. You know, you can have an exclusive little limited edition, which very few other people in the UK would ever have tasted or ever have come across. Mm. And
0: we're so used to telling the stories you know hospitality is fundamentally about stories so you know for is. me the point of good hotels and good bars and good restaurants is the stories and, the, and most of the stories we're telling are about our suppliers it's these these people who've gone off and and you know taken their obsession to the ultimate level um yeah, and if we're having that conversation around our egg supplier and our fish supplier and where our meat's coming from and you see all the, loca- the location specific information on the menus, it, it seems odd that we're not doing that on Why tea as not
1: well, tea? Yes. Absolutely. Especially we're all change I it. hear it so often, you know, this is I had a beautiful meal. Last thing I had was, you know, a really ordinary cup of tea. Yeah. And um, from you know, they say, why don't why don't they have this yeah. this sort of beautiful beautiful tea it's, because it's the last thing you go away with. It's
0: it's a it's a no-brainer. Oh, right. Um so going back into the actually setting up the business then and the challenge. So you're in China, you've learned this phenomenal amount of information, you've got the contacts, you've found a product. It's the other side of the world. You're buying a product that presumably needs a certain way of being stored. You rec- you you mentioned that some of this tea is wrapped in, you know, the paper of the local sort of vegetation. Right. Yeah. Uh, how on earth do you go about transferring it across the planet and keeping it in that condition this presumably wasn't easy the
1: beauty of tea actually the beauty of tea is once it's been if it's been made properly which of course you know with all their experience in these barns, it has and it is sealed um so it is uh, absolutely airtight and it's away from light and humidity and all the rest of it it's a stable product it's not actually as complex as as Many others, you know, sure, if it's open, then uh, the tea farms, they generally have, you know, a a fridge, a freezer at around sort of two degrees that they keep their tea at really sort of cold and they can keep it. But actually, as long as it's not exposed to extreme temperatures and in shipping containers, it generally isn't, then it's really um, a fairly straightforward sort of transport.
0: So were there any sort of lessons that jump out, anything you learned in those early days that you still remember and go and went, you know, oh, my God, I had no idea around the complexities of that or, or anything that jumps out where you think that was a that was a useful learning opportunity um, or not really?
1: Well, I mean, uh, there are so, so many. Um, I think my naivety, first of all, in assuming that everyone would just get it, um, they would just taste it, see it, love it, buy it. Oh, it took years, absolute years. I think, you know, we, we struggled. Yeah. Cause you, really had, a, you had a very had...
0: specific idea in your mind about the sort of tea you wanted to buy, but well, I'm, I'm getting the impression you had no idea about the sort of person that was going to buy it. Absolutely
1: right. Absolutely right. right. You know, we, um, at the beginning we were, we were, um, had our website, which anyone could buy. So we could go direct to the consumer and now we're just focused only on trade. Right. Um, but... Um back then, yes, I mean, we were pathetically grateful for anyone, anyone who, to sort of buy who it. Who bought first? Well, one of the best, actually, one of our oldest and most um, loyal and forward-thinking customers is uh, Petersham Nurseries,
0: okay.
1: who started in Richmond. Well, they're still there. They've still got a beautiful place in Richmond, um, just along the river. And I was across the river in Twickenham, so I would actually be packing down the tea in the kitchen and putting it on my bike and cycling down to the river and going on the foot ferry across to Petersham and delivering it that way. Amazing. There's quite a
0: few people who start on a bike, Honey Buns, I interviewed, and uh, they were the same. She was driving around Oxford or riding around or didn't even have a driving licence and delivering all of her cakes by, uh, by push bike, and now, you know, delivers nationally to, uh, to a yeah, huge, yes. huge producer. So it's funny how many people start on a push
1: pushbike. Yep, so. Yeah, well, they just happened to be deliciously close and they were brilliant. And now, of course, they've got a fabulous place in Covent Garden. Um, and, yeah, we still have a really nice range with them. And mm, um, nice. they've been...
0: So so why the shift then? So originally you were trying to sell direct in, in presumably, yeah. you know, complex. You're bringing over tea and selling it in, in in little bits. It must have felt like this is a lot of work to, to go out there, fly out there, meet these people, bring oh. it back and then send it to I know, a and our margins
1: people. were absolutely pitiful. I mean yeah. they're not great now, but
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. So what <laughs> but was in the, the what, was, days, what was the trigger Because so you don't sell direct to the consumer anymore, do you? You you, no. you did for a while. Was that was that presumably via a website or it
1: was, yeah, same okay. website. So anyone could buy it, okay. you know. It, you know, absolutely anyone. And as you say, you know, and I would spend hours on the phone to, you know, Barry Bigelow in, in Wales. Who, um, who was cups. buying 50 grams <laughs> yeah. of of something unusual, wanted to know everything about it, which is fine. As you would to, you know, a, a hotel, which okay. was wanting yeah. to sort of put it in afternoon tea and that yeah. sort of thing. So, yeah, a few years ago we did, um we took a, you know, a step back and had a moment to take a clear look at the business. Doing a rebrand, it wasn't just changing the logo and the look and feel of the thing. It was also looking at what do we do best? Who do we serve best? And it was absolutely, you know, buying this gorgeous Tees Direct and everyone in the company just having focus on one um Partner, which would be trade, so hotels, restaurants, and good move, brilliant move. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Mm. (laughs) Do you? Yeah, except the frustration from people saying, "I really want to buy this. Where do I go?" Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, what's your website? Can I just buy it off the website? Yeah. You have to go to our partners. You have to go.
0: But there are people who will sell to the uh, domestic trade as well, will they? Or is it? Can they? Can you only buy it as a? uh, as a hotel or as a restaurant or as a, you know, are there delis where they can buy it from those wholesalers, I suppose? Where you can yeah, some tea? of
1: our some of the guys um, have our teas in uh, retail, a retail tins, board. yeah, yeah okay. that they can yeah. sell on through. Yeah, because
0: it would, yeah, I, 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 on a personal level, I'm kind of, you know, I'm looking forward to uh, somehow I'm going to find access to your tea um, easier than flying over to, uh, to China, although I do now want to go up that mountain and meet the local, what were they called, tea masters. Oh, that there. sounds yes. awesome. Yes. I travelled in, in China for a while. It's such an amazing part of the world. Um, okay, so do you think then we, that we, we have seen this change, you know, your experience? Because I'm sat here and when I was researching this last night, I was kicking myself going, why don't I know this much information? You're obviously in the industry and you see it. So do you have that delusion that everybody's now talking about this kind of tea? Or or is there a genuine kind of shift and a genuine change? And is there any evidence, I suppose, that that, that demonstrates that there is a change in the appreciation of loose leaf quality tea?
1: Yeah, there's definitely a change. Um, There's no question that uh, the hotels now, uh, you know, for a while they've been serving loose leaf and it's probably been... Okay, but if they want to differentiate themselves, they just need to do better and buy better and have all the support. That you know, it's no good just buying the what they think is a decent leaf from their tea partner, their tea supplier. They now expect, as we were talking about, all those stories. So their team are confident and enthusiastic about those leaves. Um, They need proper training. So. You know Canton never just dumps the leaves on a on a business we actually make sure that we're in there because no matter how much love care skill has gone into producing the leaf, if you just pour boiling water on a really sensitive Japanese leaf, for instance Japanese green tea, it's going to taste bitter, astringent, oversteeped, and it'll be ruined. Mm. So they have to understand how to brew the teas correctly. And green teas, generally, this is just a general tip to everybody who doesn't already know this, is that any green tea you have in your cupboard is going to taste better if you brew it cooler.
0: Really?
1: Yeah, absolutely no question. Even your your dusty bag from your supermarket green tea, that will be a lot better if you don't pour boiling water on it, because at super high temperature, you're dissolving all the astringent compounds in the leaf if you brew it cooler about 60 65 70 degrees then you're going to get the actual flavor notes coming through and you're not going to dissolve
0: and what's the easiest way of doing that boil the kettle let the water cool down a bit or do you get a special kettle uh,
1: (laughs) dozens of ways obviously the easiest just to get your temperature controlled kettle another way is to pour cold water in proportion of cold water onto the leaves before the, the the or an ice cube Pop an ice cube in there before you put on your boiling water. Um, or you allow, if you're a very different person, personality to me, you just boil a kettle and sit and wait for it to right. cool. But that's agony.
0: Yeah. Well, know. I have one of those uh, special taps that permanently, you know, in my kitchen that permanently the, pumps out the right. Kuka kind of yeah, yes, taps, there, yes. which I think is a fantastic invention. <laughs> um, but now I'm feeling bad because, yeah, I'd have well, to... Can, I'd, ice cube's a good idea. I'd absolutely. To, pop a couple
1: in. of ice cubes in. Because yeah. it comes out extremely hot from those taps. It does, yeah. Yeah, it's like a magic. I don't know how it works, but I, but I love it. <laughs> okay,
0: and and therefore there is a willingness then that people are happy to pay basically for a premium product. And does that?
1: They are. I mean, you know, when people don't complain generally about bad tea, it's kind of what they expect. Mm. You know, when they're in sort of you know cafes and things, but. They really notice good tea, and I think um, that's a, a key point. That if you, you know you put an extra fifty pence, if you're serving something ordinary, if you put an extra fifty pence on your cost, or even a pound on the cost, you know you have covered the extra that you're paying for your tea. You know you're making better margins, and you're serving something you can be actually stand behind and be proud of
0: um yeah it's the same as wine i guess isn't it? Is it a certain level sub four euros or four pounds now pretty much parity i think it's pretty much all uh tax and transport and the packaging and and you know very very little is actually on the wine but go up to six pounds and all of a sudden the farmers are 200 percent more money because the rest of those kind of fixed right. costs have been covered i suppose so yes i presume it's the same does it does the does the money ripple back then to the actual tea maker and the tea provider well, and the it tea certainly master do- in it China? certainly
1: does in these instances because yeah. it's it's such a short um, chain yeah, okay. yeah it's yeah, it's direct. Yeah, we yeah. buy direct. we've never really gone down um, we were certified organic for a long time, but that just threw into question so this tea is organic and it costs so much, and this other tea is not organic yet it costs more. Mm. How can that be? Yep. you know, isn't the organic one better? No, yeah. absolutely not. It's not a, and you know, as we were talking earlier, it's actually not about organic. It's not about quality. Yeah, it's about you know a certain processing. And if you're buying direct from traditional artisan production, it's actually often beyond organic. We all know well, the there the irony are...
0: is that all food was called food before we kind of started making it in a non-organic way, isn't it? Organic Correct. is something that we've tried to put a label on food to kind of go... You know, after, after we caused all the problems, like pre all the pesticides and fertilizers and intensive farming, all food mm. was organic, wasn't it? So mm. if you've got tea bushes that have been there for 2,000 years in the mountains of China, it's organic. It, but it doesn't have an, an organic accreditation. Of course does not. It? How, how and, are they going to jump through the, the hoops the best to become farmers, accredited?
1: And the best farmers don't need no. that accreditation. As you say, the domestic it's market just, is so strong yeah. that that tea is going to sell out. Anyway, yeah. and you know, we're lucky to get our. All- I
0: think the key is you've got to work with, and it's great that you go over there and meet the farmers and, and and have some great local contacts because the key is finding farmers that share your ethos. I think, isn't it? And then that's more important than any accreditation. And we'll probably do a podcast on this at some point. But I don't mind if it's MSC fish, or it's organic accreditation, or it's it's fair trade. They're, they're base points. The best thing you can do is meet the farmers or meet the producers and make sure they share their ethos. We were chatting about this uh, earlier about Guy from Riverford and, and, yeah. and actually I don't think we did talk about this one, this was yesterday, but we did. We did. this was this idea that the leaves, wasn't it? The leaves are sterilising the soil and the fact that to sterilise the soil to kill the weeds for some of the baby leaves like spinach and stuff like that in France mm. uses 2,000 litres of, of diesel per hectare to, to bring the soil up to a certain temperature that kills the, uh, the weeds. Yet that's still considered to be organic, which and is so far away from absurd. environmental practice. Yeah. The MSC were the same and this may not be the case now, but when we were looking into salmon in the restaurant, which we ended up just stopping selling, but the uh, MSC salmon was fr- was caught off the Alaskan coast, yeah. was frozen at sea, was sent to China for packaging and was then distributed around the world. So although it had MSC accreditation as being from sustainable stocks, it's it's not sustainable from I think most people's perspective on the, on the miles that it ends up unreasonably yeah. traveling. So yeah, yeah, a lot of these accreditation, Meditation things are, are fantastic at raising awareness and fair trade is a great kind of base point. Don't go worse than that, but we can always do better. The Absolutely. best fish, I think, for, is caught from the day boats, the little day boats that cannot overfish by definition because they go out from your local port yeah. and they come back six hours later and they've got limited capacity. So, yeah, people just need to, ch- to check more. But I've gone off. On a on a slightly ranty <laughs> tangent, when you're over there in China, though, and you see this, so what what to them is just a uh, you know a way of life, and they've always drunk this this tea. It's is their preparation process. They presumably follow this. They have water at the right temperature. Am I am I right in thinking that there's well, kind of tea festivals, and that this is part of the local culture? Can you just explain what yeah, tea sure, means but in when, China?
1: Absolutely, but the sort of ceremonial um, uh, thing with tea is. In China, it's, uh, when you're at the farms, which is where I spent more time rather than, you know, rather sort of fancy. Rather sort than of in cereal- the palaces and the politicians. Uh, sadly, yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, not sadly at all. But, <laughs> you know, they are actually, it's almost like they're destruction testing their, their leaves. You know, right. the farmers sit okay. there often with a sort of fag in their mouth. Yeah. Um, and, and they are, they have got tea pretty much at boiling. They really? might have left it 30 seconds or so. And um, they make it in a very, very different way to the way that even I have here. I mean, I've used quite a lot of leaf and their small pots, but their gongfu style of tea making is with a very small pot and very tiny cups and a lot of leaf. And they do many, many, many infusions several, you know, five, six infusions of the same leaf. And um, they kind of like. Often, I'm, I'm thinking particularly uh, Tiguan Yin, I'm Buddha in Fujian, where I spent quite a lot of time with the farmers because it was raining. We were waiting for the harvest, but they couldn't pick the leaves while well, it was raining. So, days, evenings, days, nights went by waiting for the rain to stop before we could actually harvest the leaves. So, that was drinking tea solidly all day. I mean, I, I didn't sleep. I mean, I was so caffeinated. Um had a couple of hours, but didn't matter because starting again more caffeine. So I didn't really notice the lack of sleep. But the way that they make the tea is just uh completely different and they kind of like to draw out as much of the the, the tea and the stringency and the you know the caffeine as, as possible. Whereas there is no tea that I would put boiling water on, even a black tea, just leave it. A little bit and then pour it on because I never put milk in any tea. So, um, you know, even in English breakfast our Canton English breakfast, I drink light and it's bright and it's beautiful. It has no astringency whatsoever. If you let it brew a little bit longer, then, of course, you can add milk. Mm. And there's actually a tea that I wanted to... um, taste today in 1843 it's called canton 1843 there's a really sweet story around that it's um it's our alternative english breakfast tea right and it's made entirely from chinese leaf because in 1843 there's a guy called richard davies who's a scottish guy actually who was a tea merchant living in new york so he had his tea company in new york And he created a new blend and it was entirely from Chinese teas because at that time tea wasn't produced commercially in India. So it was, um, it would have been Chinese teas and it was uh, dark and black teas. Um, And he called it English breakfast. And this English breakfast, he told all the New Yorkers, this is what they were drinking back in the UK. And... Um, it obviously, you know, took off and became this incredibly popular tea and everyone started mimicking it. But when we um, found out about this story and the origin of English breakfast tea, the beauty is that his company was called Canton Tea. Oh, okay. When we started our company, Canton, called it Canton Tea, we didn't realise then really? there had been a predecessor and he had invented the English breakfast. So there was a Scottish guy in yeah, New amazing. York made the English breakfast tea from Chinese leaf. And what we have done is recreate. We've gone back into the research and we've recreated as close to the original English breakfast tea as possible. So it's using a bit of Mun leaf, um, which is a dark, you know, lovely, slightly smoky um, Chinese tea, and some dahong pao, which is a dark oolong. It's um, called one of those sort of rock oolongs. Okay. And some Yunnan black, so a lovely black tea from Yunnan. And that combination is sensational. Really?
0: So he knew his stuff, this Richard Davison. It wasn't just that he wasn't... Uh...
1: I think he was just lucky. Just, <laughs> was they only had to... good tea coming over okay. in those days. <laughs> right, yeah,
0: he wasn't just trying a black. This is, this is what they're all drinking, but um, he but is, it, Yeah, but he was just amazing. a marketing
1: genius. Yeah, amazing. That's really mm. good,
0: isn't it? Well, we'll definitely, uh, definitely try it. Um, Apart from the kind of, you know, the, the cost and the culture and uh, and this education process around the tea we've talked about, um, there has been a huge growth in the last few years around sort of herbal teas and fruit teas and all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, not
1: teas, but not herbal. Teas.
0: So <laughs> yeah. what's your, yeah, what's your perspective on that sector and what, what it's doing? Okay,
1: well, again, you know, I think fantastic anything that elevates whatever we're consuming yeah. is just great. The disappointing thing about these herbals and these fruit, so called teas, but obviously if it hasn't got camellia sinensis in, it is not a tea. You say
0: obviously. <laughs> Most people. Obviously. obviously if it hasn't got what, sorry?
1: <laughs> the leaf that from the tea bush, the camellia sinensis. So if it's mint, chamomile, okay. berry, teas, they are. Herbals, tisanes, whatever they are, but they're not
0: okay. true teas. In the same way that, that soy and almond and oats aren't necessarily milk. milk. If you're exactly a right, farmer, so. Yeah. Gotcha.
1: So I know, uh, yeah, it's it's. I, I fall into it as well, but um, you know, if you're going to be pedantic, then it's not tea. <laughs> However, <laughs> back to the question, yeah, I think it's really great if they are improved right. upon, and, I mean, I have to say that most berry. And hibiscus teas, um, most of those fruit teas, they smell promising. You open them up and they've got the sort of volatile oils come off, and you, mm, yeah, this is going to taste good. Pour on the boiling water, which is okay because it hasn't got the chameleon sense. Exactly, you're not going to draw out all, all the astringent notes. Um, and it generally delivers very little on the flavor. It's usually a bit flat and often sort of muddy and disappointing. So, what we did is treat, um, you know, we have herbals, of course, and fruit teas, and we do exactly the same with those. We look at the best possible thing we can do with them to improve the quality. So our and hibiscus, as far as we know, you know, I hesitate to say we're the only, but we might well be, people who we use from the fruit oils in our and hibiscus tea, and you'd think that would be expected because it's natural flavorings. I mean, here's another area. Natural flavorings can come from bark or mushroom, can be rendered through a laboratory and made to taste like a strawberry. And that is a natural flavoring in your strawberry and blackcurrant tea. But it doesn't taste that good.
0: And Okay, so it's a natural and, flavoring, but it's not natural to what it's supposed to taste not of. Not at
1: all. It's just from a natural Sauce things. at okay. some point, right?
0: So, a piece of old but, wood that, that right. just happens
1: to. And so, when you see natural flavouring right. written on all the packets, okay,
0: Interesting.
1: it is not. So, our berry has from the fruit oils, from you know, blackcurrant, strawberry, raspberry, and it is the fruit oil and it delivers on the taste. You can smell it and you can taste it. And it's got wild Spanish licorice in as well, which is the root, and it's wow. gorgeous, leaves a lovely, slippery sort of. Um, flavor, mouthfeel. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, you know, fine, fantastic. They're, they you know, people are funny about caffeine. Although I think caffeine's actually quite a good thing um, in moderation. Um, and that's the other, another great thing about tea and the difference between tea and coffee is because tea has this magic ingredient, this L-theanine. The caffeine gives you the the hit and raises your levels of um, yeah, sort of concentration. Yes, alert. all that sort of thing. But yeah, oh, the, the L-theanine, um, it, does, it has a completely different effect on the body and it acts as a sort of sedative almost. So it acts against really? the caffeine, okay. which is why, and it's absorbed through the gut and into the bloodstream up to the brain much more slowly. And it counters the effects of the caffeine, which is why with tea... Okay. You can um, stay alert and focused, but you don't have that same jittery hit.
0: Right, as you would get with coffee.
1: As you would get with coffee, because oh, coffee she. doesn't have the L-theanine mm, compound. Okay. Yeah. And that is this incredible thing in tea. There's a little nugget tea. of
0: wisdom there. So if we want to be yeah, more of uh, the, the caffeine hit is, uh, yeah, it's, it's longer and more useful, basically.
1: Absolutely, especially if you're studying, mm. you know, and you want to stay awake or for whatever reason. Okay. I, I can't. I
0: don't drink. I love coffee. Sorry, no. But I can't drink coffee after one half one in the afternoon, something like that. Or Me I'm neither. Awake. Is it? Would it be the same with tea? Or does well,
1: that... it. Um, oh God, it depends. I mean, you know, I used to ask questions in the early days. I still ask questions about tea because God, there's so much to learn. But, uh, but I, used to answer almost every question with an, it depends. I mean, right. it, the levels of caffeine depend entirely on which tea you're drinking and how you brew it. If you brew it hot, you're going to extract more caffeine. Okay. Um, if you brew a lot of leaf, there's going to be more caffeine. If you have a chopped up leaf, you know, extract more caffeine. If it's, you know, there are all sorts of ways, but um, some teas have more caffeine in than others. Okay. Oolongs mm-hmm. are supposed to have less Really? Because a lot of it comes off in the in the sort of roasting a roasted oolong. So I'd I'd like seen. to be
0: alert in the afternoon, which I would get from my coffee hit, but not be alert at ten o'clock at night when I want to go right. to sleep. What tea should I drink?
1: Um, I would say that up until about six o'clock at night, you're good with most teas. Really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll
0: see. I've had so many samples of tea this morning. I should still be. Buzzing tomorrow morning at ten o'clock. So, uh, so we'll see how it goes. I'll do some. I'll do some testing.
1: Yeah, probably, probably a green is your. Yeah, is your best bet.
0: Okay. Not a bark fake fruit tea. (laughs) No, well that hasn't
1: got any caffeine in, so you'd be fine drinking that. But it just no, it just will not taste
0: good. They're rubbish. Uh, Not (laughs) Um, okay. So there's clearly a lot of work to do with with all of this knowledge and and the temperature and the the nuances. Um, Is this what led to the the UK Tea Academy? Was it fundamentally we can now get really good tea, but we need to understand it and we need to understand how to make it? Because you co-founded that a couple of years ago, I think. What was the motivation? Yeah, that's right.
1: yeah, the motivation was um, a company like Canton can go in and deliver a certain level of of training. Um, and that's absolutely essential at the beginning, and then it needs to do regular training. But there are some people, like a, like a wine sommelier, there are some people who want to go further. They want to know more, and they want to really, you know, so where do they go? Well, there are all sorts of books, but actually... There was nowhere, nowhere in the UK. And uh, Jane Pettigrew is someone who I've known for a long time. She's uh, a great friend and she's the most, probably, possibly one of the most well-known people in the tea world. She's got a British Empire Medal for services to, you know, tea and tea history. She's a great educator on tea. She's written about 16 books. I think her encyclopedia is over there in the corner. That one best publication at the Tea Awards last year in Las Vegas, you know, the the major world tea awards. So uh, she is absolutely the doyen, the top of of the the tea world, incredible following in Japan and and America and basically over the world. And she has been running courses um, by herself for a long time. And I approached her and said, Why are you, why don't you have a team around you? Why don't you have, um, you know, basically a structure around you so that you can write courses, deliver the teaching and have other people as well helping to do the teaching and take this to a different level? And happily, she agreed, she's written all the courses and been running them for a few years. We're now in this, this permanent classroom space in Southwark and... It is aimed primarily at people who are starting businesses in the tea world or who are already working in um, F&B. And this is a little area that is, you know, they can really get some differentiation by knowing a great deal more. about
0: tea. And is this, so what sort of thing would they be learning then? Is this similar to the sort of WSET kind of wine sommelier? Yes, it is. Is is there a one-day course, a three-week course?
1: The first course is a Tea Champion course, which is two days. Very intense. You sit here and you taste, you think we've tasted a lot of teas today. Oh, my God. Over those two days, I think they taste something like 48 different teas. And they learn all about uh, where they come from, how they're made, um, they do, you know, even blind tastings. At the end, they have a little exam and they become a tea champion after two days. And then the next level up is tea sommelier, and it's a four day course, possibly maybe made a five day course because there is so much in it that um, doing the exam at the end of that is pretty overwhelming. So it's, again, and I. Many, you know, 80, 90, 100 teas. I'm not sure quite how many right. that wow. taste in that. But the the brewing team are absolutely, constantly. Whispering. And there is just so much to learn about because there are so many different regions that produce tea, of yeah. course. And they're all the teas are made in different ways and um, have an entirely different history and entirely different varietal and so the cultivation and the processing and yeah
0: well, I'm thinking that you know the while we're in central London you can't walk more than 100 meters without without seeing a coffee shop and that, uh, you know I've worked with our coffee suppliers for years and the amount of work you know they don't want any barista serving a NAF cup of their coffee so they put a huge amount of work mm. in you know and they've got all these training centers with you know, a dozen kind of espresso machines and, and people are train for days, it, it feels like a, feels like that's going to be a busy tea academy. Because if you're going to apply the same approach, you know, you, you clearly, and, and now me, wants to be able to walk into probably the same place. I want to be able to go in and then one day I want to have an a espresso or a mocha, but the next day I might just want to have some sort of beautiful tea. It feels like you've got a lot of work to do, haven't you? There There's are a lot of work to do. thousands <laughs> of people. Because you presumably want to be able to walk into any one of these places and get a decent cup of proper tea. Yeah,
1: that'd be nice. We're a long way from that. You really are, aren't you? Yeah. yeah You'd
0: yeah. be really yeah. busy.
1: Yeah. And I think it's people understanding the value of tea training as well. I mean Fortnum uh, F uh, Fortnum Mason have, they send all their staff through. They've done a great job. Really? And really sort of respect the need to understand, you know, um, the Leaf they're selling. And some of the big hotels really good as well. That, sending people through and making sure that, you know, especially for that afternoon tea, it's not just all about the food and the the, the cakes. It really is a fundamental part of that afternoon tea is delivering a beautiful tea and understanding all about it mm. and having a great range. And they will then, of course, be able to go back and and help choose, help decide what Absolutely. teas they have on that range. Mm. And, of course, there's tea pairing now, which is so popular and essential, And there are so many other things to do with tea. I mean, we've just done a very conventional thing today with, you know, drinking it as we have with lovely, you know, liquor from water poured on the leaf. But what I haven't done is made you a cocktail with, you know, beautiful infused gin from, you know, these amazing leaves or many other uh, cocktails of really guys getting off. Or, of course, there's... Um, you know, cold infusions and sparkling teas and kombucha, all these things that are going on with tea now, because it's got these amazing, you know, antioxidants going on and all the sort of health benefits that people claim, not us necessarily. You know, we do the science.
0: Yeah, facts only. We do the facts only, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. No, no nonsense. When you say about tea pairing, you mean beyond a slice of Victoria sponge, do you? It's not, it's not just tea and cake. What are you pairing it with? You're not pairing it with a spaghetti bolognese or you something. You certainly but, can be. Really? Yeah,
1: well, cert- I mean, certainly there are things that work well with, you know, with with salmon or with, um, you know, duck or... I mean, that's another thing, actually, cooking with tea is a really, really yeah, okay. um, yeah. big deal. Yeah, and I need to share, send up my, yeah,
0: my, my cocktail barman and my chefs. I think they could, they could learn a lot from... Uh, they yeah. could. They really could. There are some you fabulous... just need an ambassador recipes. in each company, don't you? In the same way you do with, That's with coffee, exactly. somebody who cares. We you want a Cantonista, a Cantonista, a Cantonista out like there that. in
1: every single yeah. area that we... Yeah, it we is. do, actually. I mean, the Soho House Group, we work with them. Yeah, yeah getting Cantonese in each of the houses. So wow. we try and make sure that the, yeah. the standards are maintained. Yeah. And
0: yeah. at the time that you did this then, when you first went out there and found these incredible teas and these incredible stories... You were trailblazing. You know, there was nobody else who'd really done it, which I still find remarkable because it was only sort of 12 or 13 years ago. Uh, are lots of people getting involved in that market now? Or is yeah, it still well, I can't I can't
1: quiet? claim to be the... <laughs> Not the first person. No. <laughs> first, sadly. You know, there are others, um, but we were... Yeah, we were definitely ahead of the wave. Yeah, no question. Which is why why it was so hard and why we. Yeah, you know, well, um, if you've done well, so well, we're who, still who here. First, of yeah, course, we opened, survive, you know, in so. two thousand and seven, just you know, as the sort of the financial, financial crash. So the only way, only way, was really up. Yeah. So it was a slow climb, but yeah, we're still here, and we really are. You know, some of our um, hotel partners now. You know, we've got Nobu, um, Cafe Royal for many years. Mandarin Oriental Bulgari Amazing um, Hotel uh, The Standard We just started with them Okay And yeah. So yeah We've got fantastic Customers now Amazing. Partners Because yeah. you know They really are Yeah They I'm, understand I, what I, we I, do I, and,
0: I'm excited So what's What's next Where's Canton going to go next What's your plans
1: uh, All we want to do Is just What we do Keep doing what we do well And do more of it Just Spread the word yeah. Feels like it
0: should be A uh, you know, a, a mission for the country basically, isn't it? To change yes. our you know, we're here we are. Yeah, like I said before, the irony of our reputation as the greatest tea drinkers on the planet. Yeah, well and that's, you're gonna you're gonna rescue us from what we've been drinking for the last hundred years or so. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, I mean your question I think was about are there other people doing it? Yeah. Yes, there are, and that's great too. Mm. That's you know, opening up doors, pushing boundaries, making people recognize that they can't just get away with you know, I hesitate to mention any names of the companies, but we all know who they are. You know, the sort of very ordinary stuff that's still out there. You know, you just can't sell that if you're any self-respecting business that's doing good coffee and yeah. good food. <laughs> No, you're you know, absolutely right. You yeah. really um, are. They noticing remember.
0: the shift and the change, and we've noticed it certainly with um, craft beers and with craft gins and all this yep. kind of stuff. That the big producers have gone and looked and gone, oh my goodness, there's a resurgence here of the sort of the proper stuff. Yes, and they almost I guess, they accuse them of jumping on the bandwagon Definitely. because nobody has um has kind of uh, copyrighted the term boutique in hotels or craft in beer or in gin and stuff. Are they? Are they pretending now? Are they using some of the words or some of the imagery? And are they starting to notice a, a definitely, change? Definitely,
1: definitely they are, because there is a decline in conventional black traditional tea sales. Right, and those, those tea ads that's going down. Younger people are not drinking that stuff anymore, okay. and there is a massive surge in this this better whole leaf specialty okay.
0: tea. And are any of them actually? You know, changing and doing decent tea or are they all just pretending? No. <laughs> really? <Straight laughs> well, because...
1: I mean it, it you know, it's it's all a it's all about scale, isn't it? Yeah, I mean absolutely. you can't go in, you can't expect to do thousands of tons of this kind of tea mm. if you have to, you know, go up a ladder. Shovel it in out a mountain
0: in northern. <laughs> yeah, you can't China. be a
1: big conglomerate and actually um still Yeah you know, get the same sort of level of of quality. It's just not possible.
0: Sometimes a useful stepping stone, though. I'm sort of always anti the big brands. I think there's room for both, but I just get annoyed by their complete dominance of a sector. But it's been quite interesting chatting to um, Joel from Bad Hand Coffee or Rupert from Concord Gin and actually saying, you know, sometimes, uh, and, and Bareface Brewery were the same, that it can be a useful stepping stone. So some of the brewers I spoke to actually, the first place they tried an interesting beer ironically was in Weatherspoons, and, and they happened to oh. have a you know some sort of slightly quirkier IPA and it started them on a trajectory where they started to brew their own. Right. Some people might go to a, a Costa's or a Starbucks and have a coffee and then go, okay, well, I'm a level up from my little cup of instant in a polystyrene mm. cup where do i go from here mm. so maybe if the big guys start alluding to decency a little bit more it will be a stepping stone into
1: no council. i'm shaking my head i mean it certainly it certainly <laughs> I was trying to give you the deluded optimist uh, perspective <laughs> no it didn't come from that direction i don't think it's going that direction no. i think it's going to be us you know smaller fanatical
0: yeah. guys
1: who are, are going to sort of Push the boundaries oh, that way. I hope so.
0: So uh, now, out of everything you do, and I'm sure it's very different from the uh, the early days when you're trying to work out, you know, who am I going to buy from? Who's my client? Am I selling direct? Am I on a website? Which part of your your job now, your day-to-day role, gives you the most kind of reward? What's bits the most exciting?
1: Oh, I still think it's actually just tasting with people who really don't expect the amazing uh characteristics that are coming out from different teas. And they taste that and just go, wow, I had no idea there was so much to tea. I had no idea it could taste so different. I had no idea it could taste so good. I mean, that still is really fun. I mean, I do these um, rare and wild tea tastings still with, with some of our partners and their customers. And it's just really fun seeing the enthusiasm from people afterwards saying, that is astonishing. I had no idea. Yeah. And there are still there's so many people out there who just have no idea what this what this tea world has to offer, what these incredible leaves mm. can yield. You know, and it's so much fun, you know. You can you can really drink, you can find a tea to drink with any anything you're eating, any time of day. And you know, if you fundamentally like the taste of tea, then you just got the most exciting world of discovery ahead of you. <laughs> You're
0: right. You you, you epitomise the reason that um, I set up this podcast, which is the, the the human beings behind you know. I say hospitality, and by that I don't. I mean hospitality in your in your own kitchen and lounge. It's just kind of open the drawers, break bread, drink tea, drink wine, and stuff like that. But we're so lucky to be in a sector which uh fundamentally you know has these amazing human beings who go and obsess about a specific thing and whether it be sea salt or whether it be chocolate or whether it be tea or whether it be coffee or craft beer people Mm. dedicate their entire kind of existence and being to finding this amazing produce and i feel so lucky to live on planet earth where people have done that And, and it's so easy now that you can just walk into a tea house in london and have something from the other side of the globe that you've gone and found. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's it's an exciting industry, I think, to be involved
1: in. It is. It? it definitely is. We're it's going general, through,
0: um, and, and, and I'm a- almost at the end here, but um, we're going through this particularly uh, turbulent time politically, I suppose. You mentioned even 2007 and financial Armageddon, and it feels like really we've been in a decade of, of, of turbulence. Now, obviously, we managed to do an hour without mentioning Brexit. I know. I was going to was say, good, really, what it? turbulence? Yeah. Yeah. I know, I know. <laughs> um, but would you say, is there anything that the government could do to support court, um, you know, your sector, uh, that they should be doing better and helping with whether that's business in general or whether that's specifically around tea. Because in hospitality, you know, things like VAT come up where the hotel industry has kind of looked at it. We've got online traveling agencies about, you know, kind of telling porky pies uh, and and taking over people's, you know, we type in a particular hotel name and their name comes up. Um, You've got the ability to kind of move stuff around the world and how easy it is. So there may be that there's nothing, but is there anything you've come across in your sector where you go, man, the government made that harder than it should be? (laughs) By the look in your eyes, no. Well,
1: (laughs) uh, interesting no VAT on tea. Right. And that's a sort of historic thing. Really? That's thing. interesting. Yeah. Uh,
0: there is a point of retail to the consumer, but not at point of...
1: Right. Presumably. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, okay. yeah. And certainly there are extremely stringent rules on um, MRLs, maximum res- residue levels, which is all about things. But you know what? That's that's fine. That's a good thing. That is a good thing. Right. And... Um, that's another thing about knowing, absolutely knowing where your stuff comes from, where your right. tea comes from, because the domestic market in China, if, it, if the tea is grown just for the domestic market, then the MRLs are much, much higher. Mm. And for America, the maximum residue level. So that's all the, as we we're talking about, you know, the pesticides and the, the chemicals that they can apply to the leaf. Wow. Um, and for America, they're, Um, much lower than allowed in China. But in Europe, if we're still in Europe, um, the levels are much lower and much more stringent. And so as we ship our... So we have to know that primarily the the teas are grown in a way that is going to come under those MRLs. Um, And we don't just... Leave it to chance. Of course, we have it tested. We right. have it tested there. Okay. We have it batch tested. Because if we, if we, if any of our teas um, go above that and are tested by the port authorities and found to be um, to fail the test, then that entire shipment is destroyed, and we not yeah. only have to pay for destruction and storage. Which might be weeks before destruction, but also we lose our entire stock. So we have to be fanatically careful mm. about where this comes from. So, in terms of um, what government, I haven't really sort of you know, it's one thing I don't blame the government for. Excellent, yeah, actually, absolutely. at the moment. <laughs> it's good to know. Yeah, the well, nice to know there's something <laughs> they ask left. Me about anything else that and, they um, do now.
0: Yeah, well, and I suppose you're an example of. Um, you know, we become obsessed that you know. You'd think we only traded with Europe, but you trade on a on a global level, um, not expected to change. You're you're confident and optimistic, presumably, for the future of international trade and well, working with I China think as if, a partner. You know,
1: with uh, obviously with the uh, you know, we buy in dollars and euros. Right, and our, some of our herbals in euros, but um, at the moment, you know, for the pound in the Bucket, then you know we're going to be the cheaper to buy from, and yeah. uh, oh, God knows what's going to happen. I mean, it's already had a fairly sort of um, hefty effect on um, our
0: ability to purchase, presumably. Yeah, yeah, on rates, the cost yeah. of tea.
1: I mean, it's 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 yeah. significantly more, and it's impacted heavily on the business as it has on every other business buying.
0: Absolutely. Outside UK, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. And
1: um, we haven't passed that on to our customers yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we'll, you know, in a competitive market, you know, we'd struggle yeah. ever to sort of pass you, um, on the whole.
0: Are you bringing tea over constantly or do you get a couple of deliveries a year? How, how, how regular is the supply chain?
1: It, well, it's better than it used to be, obviously, with greater volume. It's, you know, we have a sort of six-month stock and it's, right. it comes over sort of fairly regularly but ship it over
0: yeah how long does it take
1: really? oh, it can be anything from you know four to six to eight weeks
0: right okay Nice. Got to cope with those fluctuations of demand, but all businesses are uh, challenging, I think, and uh, yeah, all markets on a global level on planet Earth that we live in. But congratulations on what you've created. I think it's fascinating. I now feel uh, so much better informed. My poor, long-suffering wife, when I rock up home tonight again and say, "Here's another thing that I've learned today, darling," and uh, all the all the rubbish tea is going to be chucked out. And we'll good. Only yes. be drinking. Well, co- you good can compost tea. it all, of course. Of course, we can. Except I've, for those paper
1: tea bags which the yeah, plastic in Yeah, they're the plastic so, ones yeah. that's
0: in the news today. <laughs> uh, you're right. I've got into compost thing and uh, yeah with my organic box delivery and now I've started growing my own food in the garden it's a dangerous thing to go and learn too much about a subject um, mm. but this has been fascinating so good luck where should people go if they want to find out more and if they want to follow Canton Tea and uh, yeah see your continued adventures where's the best place to go?
1: Okay well I think um, obviously there are all the, the social media stuff the usual things that um, my team very good at doing not me um, and Our website, if you are um, interested in learning more, then you can go onto our website and contact us. And you can see most of what we do. You can't actually get into the the guts of our range and our prices unless you um, get an account. An account is terribly easy. (laughs) Um, But if you want to actually learn more about tea as well, then I could not recommend the UK Tea Academy more because... It really is the most fantastic resource for um, just expanding that level of knowledge. And people are so enthusiastic about it. They just, they come out of it buzzing. I mean, literally, there is obviously a lot of caffeine, but they are just so enthralled by what they have learned and fascinated. Mostly what we hear is, I never knew how much I didn't know about tea. You know, that's, that's what Absolutely. they say yeah. all the time. I'm sure.
0: I was the same just doing the research last night and reading it. Um, what's your website address? Do you know? Cantontea.com. <laughs> nice, easy one. And
1: Perfect. And UK Tea Academy. Okay, dot com.
0: perfect I will put uh, some links through to those as well on the website so humansofhospitality.co.uk go there type tea into the uh, into the little search engine at any point and it Brilliant. will bring up your episode and we'll put some links in there but uh, thank you again for sparing the time and even more for um, yeah, sparing so many cups of tea I appreciate oh, it
1: great pleasure thank you very much
0: Thank you so much for listening to this week's podcast and remember that on the website humansofhospitality.co.uk every week we put on some show notes and some links through to the various websites or social media that are mentioned and we also do a nice little breakdown of that week's conversations into specific topics so you can jump through the podcast and just listen to some of the highlights if you wish. If you've not done so already, if you could leave us a review on iTunes or one of the other podcast players of your choice. That would be hugely appreciated. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll be out with another episode next Monday.